We're going to turn to Daniel chapter 10 this morning. So Daniel has been interesting. Anybody else think Daniel's pretty interesting? I don't know about you guys, but it's been really difficult for me. <laughs> There's some weird stuff in Daniel, and it's only getting weirder. So, but I, I also, at the same time, have completely loved it. It's been really, really good for me, too. It's been really good for my soul. It's been really good in opening my eyes to uh, more of who God is and what he's done and how he's at work in this world and inviting me into that story, into that true story. And so uh, this is part of that true story. And there's some weird things in that true story, but it, it's the true story of the world and we're in it. And so we need to know about it, right? And we need to not only know about it, but be transformed by it. And so I, I hope it's been as beneficial to you as it has been to me. We're switching it up a little bit in a way uh, because the last three chapters that we're in now, Daniel chapter 10, 11, 12, we're at 10 this morning, are one event, one moment in the bigger story of Daniel. And so, so far, if you've caught on, like chapter one is, this is when uh, Babylon comes and takes all these Israelites into exile, right? And then chapter two, it's like, okay, a few years later, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and then you keep flipping chapters, and you go like, okay, a couple years after that, this thing happened, and then this thing happened. Well, now we get to chapter 10. It's like, all right, now then this thing happened, and it's one long event that takes up three chapters. And chapter 11 is the longest of them next week's, and it's really super dry, and it's like a big, long history lesson. And I had this, this big, strong urge to go, I'm just going to do chapters 10 through 12. We're not going to read it all. I'm just going to give you highlights, footnotes in one week, and then let's move on, please. Uh, but I'm not gonna do that because I felt like that was taking the easy way out. And so instead, I'm gonna do chapter 10 this week and I gave Will chapter 11 next week. Him and Anthony actually had an arm wrestling competition and Anthony came out with the lion's den and Will came out with chapter 11. So I'll let you decide who won that arm wrestling competition. Um, no, in all seriousness, I'm super grateful I have two other men who can preach the word and, and open that up with us. So yeah, chapter 11 will be next week. It'll be a continuation of what we hear this morning. And then I'll get to do chapter 12 after Will does the hard work, which is the shortest chapter of all. And then we take a break from Old Testament prophecy for a while. And I'm super excited about that too. We'll just kind of ease that up a little bit, right? Um, but after that, it'll be Advent and we'll spend four weeks looking at God with us, the God who comes to be with us, which is good news. It's the good news we all need, right? Amen? All right, so chapter 10, I'm gonna pray, and then I'll read for us. Father, we ask that your spirit would be with us this morning. God, bring us into your presence through your word, through your power, through your truth. God, may we uh, not leave here confused. <laughs> may we also not leave here unchanged. But may we have come together this morning as your children, as your family, in order to be formed by your truths and empowered by your spirit to go out into your world for the sake of your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel chapter 10. Verse 1, in the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar. The message was true and was about a great conflict. He understood the message and had understanding of the vision. 
In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks, and I didn't eat any rich food, no meat or wine entered my mouth, and I didn't put any oil on my body until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I'm going to do something really weird. That's halfway through a sentence. I'm just going to pause for a second. There's already so much we got to unpack, okay? I'm going to get some of this, like, interesting facts, context of what's going on right here in this moment out of the way, and then we can look at this amazing thing that happens next. So pausing mid-sentence for a reason, because if you remember last week, if you were with us in chapter 9, we found out Daniel was flipping through the books of Isaiah, he was, or I'm sorry, of Jeremiah. He's scrolling through the, the scrolls of Jeremiah, and he's going, okay, God told Jeremiah to tell Israel, we're going to be in exile to Babylon for 70 years. It's been about 60-something years. We're almost through it. This is great. And then he takes the time then to start praying and confessing to God on behalf of all of Israel. God, we sinned against you. You're a great God. And you are kind and compassionate and righteous. And yet we've sinned. We've deserved this. But in your goodness, would you please come rescue us? And he's visited with this message that says, no, no, no. 70 times seven years. 490. Right? Like you're going to be here in exile for a long time. Okay? Now, here's an interesting uh, caveat to that. That word Jeremiah gave, you're going to be in exile to Babylon for 70 years, is true. Because this king, verse 1, the third year of King Cyrus, in the first year of King Cyrus, and you could look this up in the book of Ezra, you could also look it up in history, King Cyrus makes a decree that all those Israelites could go back to Jerusalem. So they got to go home. Not all of them went. Only a handful of them went in comparison to this huge nation of millions of people. Many of them probably thought, okay, you know what? I've built a life here now in Babylon. It's comfortable now. I, I, I have friends here. I got business going here. I just don't want to uproot my life, right? And so there is this idea that why didn't Daniel go home? Because Daniel is now standing, this is why I stopped here, verse 4, on the bank of the great river Tigris. And I got a map where the Tigris River is, and I wish I highlighted it for you, but that it's the top blue line there called Tigris coming down out of Turkey through just the top corner of Syria and coming straight down there. Oh, look at that little mouse right there. Thank you, Patrick. That's fancy. Didn't know you could do that. <laughs> Tigris, see that right there? Comes all the way down through Baghdad and modern-day Iraq, which was, in this time, Daniel's age, what? Babylon, right? Do you see where Israel is all the way to the left over there? Daniel's not over there. Daniel didn't go home. We don't know why exactly. Maybe it's because, remember in chapter 9, Daniel was already probably in his 70s or something. This is a few years later. If that exile in Babylon was 70 years, they went home two years ago. It's been 72 years now. Daniel was likely, as we said in chapter 1, like in his teens, maybe early 20s. So he's well into his 80s right now. He's an older guy now. Maybe it's possible he just couldn't make the trip. That's a possibility, right? 
Uh, maybe it was just like he, he wasn't able to actually physically go home. But he still, he, he's, it's not like most of the other Israelites that stayed, that prophets and Ezra and Daniel, I think what we see here, mourn over because the people don't want to go to this land God had promised them. Instead, Daniel's heart is still there in Israel. His heart is still with God's people. Because we see, we find him here now, it says that he, in, chapter, in verse 2, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat any rich food, no meat or wine entered my mouth. I didn't put any oil on my body until the three weeks were over. And so he's entering to this period where he is saying, I'm lamenting, I'm, I'm mourning, I'm sad over the brokenness of the world, and I'm going to reflect that with my actions, and I'm going to take a posture that shows I'm in need, just like we are all in need of God to intervene and do something. And what we can find from history, and I think what Will will help us unpack a little bit next week too, is like what starts to happen is, yes, those people get to go home to Jerusalem, and they're even told you can rebuild the temple, but there's a lot of conflict that starts happening in that process. And there's another uh, king that steps up and says they can't do that. And there's all kinds of issues that start taking place. And there's also internal conflict with those Jewish people who went back to Jerusalem to build the temple. And so Daniel is likely, we don't know this for sure, it doesn't say it, but because his heart is still with his people, with the land God had given them, his heart is for God's glory to be shown through them, he's mourning. And he's fasting for three weeks. And it's interesting, this fast we're told about is he doesn't eat meat and he doesn't eat anything that tastes good and he isn't drinking wine. It sounds very similar to the way that we're introduced to Daniel in chapter one, doesn't it? Remember when Daniel and his friends are first taken into exile into the king's palace in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's home, and they will not eat the food that's been defiled by the king's palace. We don't know exactly again what that meant, but possibly because they would sacrifice that food to their gods and then turn around and give it to these Israelites to eat. And so they wouldn't eat that food. They would only eat vegetables for about 10 days. And yet somehow they were stronger and healthier than the other people around them, right? Well, Daniel's in his teens or maybe early 20s then. And now we find over 70 years later, in his like mid-80s at least, Three weeks, even longer, he is not eating that food again. Different reason, but a similar fast, right? And I don't know about you guys, but I'm 35 and that sounds really hard. Like, I'm doing this thing right now where I'm not eating any gluten. I, don't, I swore I would never do that, but someone told me my allergies might be connected to that. I'm willing to give it a shot. So I'm not having any gluten, trying not to have any sweets, and I'm trying to cut down my meat and my dairy. I'm not quite there yet to take it out fully, but I'm trying to cut it down. And like day one, I started that. I show up to this lunch, and there's Barrow's Pizza. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And I abstained. I was held. And then like the next day, I took Bosa Donuts to my kids' class for their birthday to share with all their... And I didn't order a donut for myself. And I go straight from there to the Soma school meeting I was telling you guys about, and there's Bosa Donuts there too. And I was like, come on, you guys are killing me. And I've abstained the whole time, but it was really, really difficult. And there's been times where I get that hangryness coming out, you know? It's like I'm eating plenty of food, 
but I'm not getting that sugar fix that I need and I'm, I'm getting highly irritable. So it's difficult. And I'm not doing this for spiritual reasons. I'm doing it because I think I'll stop sneezing as much as I do, right? Daniel's doing this because he's taking a posture before the Lord. God, we are in need of you to intervene. And he's far more advanced in his years than I am. And I love that we get this little glimpse right here because we're seeing that how Daniel lived his life in chapter one as a young man is very similar to how he's living his life in his twilight years as an older man. In fact, he's not slowing down. He's not taking a step back. Because there's a danger that happens when we think we're getting to the end of a race and we start slowing down. Actually, we want to watch a short little video clip of that. Let's see what happens when we take that approach. Watch this. Close up. Do you see his face there? His hands. I wish I got a better close up of that. He's like getting the crowd. I'll never make that mistake again. He's, he's trying to get the crowd pumped up like, yeah, I got this. I'm winning. And then he like, he didn't see on this side this guy coming. He sees on the jumbotron over here. This was in 2015, college run. He sees on the jumbotron this guy's catching up and you see his face turn from like joy to horror. Uh-oh. And he starts like picking it up a little bit but it's already too late. And as soon as they're about to cross, he's about to cross the finish line and the guy next to him crosses it before him, he throws up his hands like, what just happened, right? Like, I'll tell you what just happened. You were celebrating way too soon, and you didn't run the race all the way through to the end. So let that just be a lesson to you guys if you're ever in a foot race, but also for life. Like, we see Daniel all throughout his life, all through his years, he is in service to the true king. And he is giving his full self and his full life. It's not like, all right, I've done enough. I can take a step back now. Let's let these youngsters take care of it, right? Maybe his position changes. He didn't go back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the temple. It looks different now in his 80s. But he is still giving his life in service to God as his true king. I, I hope and I pray that we can all say the same too, right? There's this uh, statement that Paul makes, do not grow weary of doing good. And how do we do that? How do we not grow weary of doing good? How do we maintain? How do we continue giving our lives fully in service to God as king? I think we're gonna see here, it's not because Daniel is super mighty. So let's read on. I'll read that sentence again since I stopped mid-sentence. Verse four, on the 24th day of the first month as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, in Babylon, I looked up, and there was a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. That sounds pretty intense, right? Only I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see it, but a great terror fell on them and they ran and hid. I was left alone looking at this great vision. No strength was left in me. My face grew deathly pale, and I was powerless. I heard the words he said, and when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. How many of you sleep with your face buried 
to the ground, let alone in a, in a pillow, right? <laughs> like most of us don't, right? I, I think probably what happened is Daniel fainted. This vision is so incredible, so glorious, so powerful. And then he hears the voice like a multitude. That means there's like a lot of voices at once coming at him. This strong, powerful, rushing sound coming at him. And this incredible looking figure before him. And he faints, he falls down, which is pretty on par with the way that we see humans reacting to some type of glorious vision like this before, right? Either a messenger from the Lord or the Lord shows up and people can't contain themselves. Like King Belshazzar, who ends up soiling his pants, we're told, right? I love it when people are like, I just got this vision from the Lord. And what, like in our day and age, and what usually comes after that is, yeah, he was telling me about this great ministry he wants me to start, and like, uh, it's gonna be great, we're gonna change the world, like, it's something like that usually. I got this vision from the Lord, and like, this is what he wants me to do, and it's gonna be this great big thing to like, make themselves feel awesome. And I'm like, I wanna be like, really? Like, was that before or after you peed your pants? Because if the Lord showed up, and you're just like chopping it up, like it's no big deal, Probably not the Lord. If the, the almighty God of the universe, the creator of all things, the king of kings, lord of lords, the one who created all things by speaking, by his breath coming out, like a rushing multitude and life springs forth. If he showed up, you're probably pulling a Belshazzar and soiling yourself. Or you're at least doing what Daniel did and just falling down faint. Isaiah has a similar reaction when he has this vision of the Lord. And he's like, I'm undone. Woe is me, I, I, I can't even stand here before you. And he, and he can't speak. And he has this weird thing happen where like a messenger from the Lord comes and touches his lips with this hot coal. I, I, we won't get into all that today, that's for another Old Testament series, right? But that brings strength to him and he can start speaking. And it brings purity to him so he can actually open up these unclean lips before a holy and almighty God. Daniel, who's, as we said, been a pretty good guy in this book, he's not immune to this reaction. This majestic being shows up and Daniel faints and falls down before him. He recognizes, I am a small weak, and not just because he has been fasting for three weeks and because he's older now, but because he is nothing in comparison to this figure before him. Now look, we don't know exactly who this figure is. I'm just gonna be clear about that right now. But I want you, if you have your Bibles, swipe over to, or flip over to, Revelation 1 real quick. <laughs> yeah, we're getting weird this morning. Revelation 1. And so John has this vision. And he has a vision of the Lord. Verse 12, he says, he writes, Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. What's Jesus' favorite name for himself? The Son of Man. 
dressed in a robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. Actually, another translation there, a multitude of rushing waters. Go back, Daniel. 10. This man, verse 5, with a belt of gold from Euphaz around his waist, his body like barrel, his face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Can you see a connection? Sounds very similar, right? I, I'm telling you guys, I don't know. I, I was having a conversation with someone earlier this week, and they were asking me, like, which water? It was at the Soma School thing. It was like, hey, uh, we're at someone's house. and like, hey, what, what water am I supposed to? There's, like, a small little faucet, and there's a big faucet. And I was like, I think the small faucet is the purified water, and the big faucet is, like, regular tap water. And she went to, like, try the small faucet, and nothing came out. And she's like, you don't know what you're talking about. And I said, hey, I said I think. You can put I think before anything and get away with it, right? I think I'm going to go home and have a nap after this. It's probably not going to happen because we've got 12 kids coming over for a sleepover for our kid's birthday. So I, I, I think, but it's probably not going to happen, right? Like You can say I think before anything, get away with it, because you aren't making a bold proclaiming statement that you know. I think this might be the same person in Daniel 10 and in Revelation 1. I think Daniel might have seen a vision. He's been getting messages from the Lord throughout this book. Possibly he's actually seeing the message of the Lord now. Possibly, right? A lot of debate on that in chapter 10. A lot of debate on what this figure is, who this figure is, and if this is just a messenger, an angel, right? Or if this is the Lord himself showing up. What happens next is there's definitely now an interaction between him and what we would call an angel, a messenger of the Lord. A spiritual being that is not the Lord, right? In service to the Lord. But if we see what happens here, uh, some, what some people say could be the case here, is that that next figure seems to be described much differently. And what happens here is Daniel faints. He falls face down to the ground and then he's awoken by a messenger from the Lord, and there's another interaction. And it doesn't seem to talk about them the same people. So what some people think is he sees a visible manifestation of the message of God. Who is the word of God? Right? A, a pre-incarnate Jesus, so to speak. And he sees, and it's too much for him, and he faints. And then the Lord speaks through a messenger and wakes him up. That's what I'm going with. If I had to make a bet, good news, we don't have to make a bet. <laughs> we don't have to know. What we do know is this. Daniel is visited by a spiritual being who is bringing a message from God himself. And the message is what matters. So we'll read on. Verse 10, suddenly a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and knees. He said to me, Daniel, Listen to this. You are a man treasured by God. We've heard this before, right? When Daniel's had a vision, a messenger from the Lord. Don't be afraid. God loves you, right? This is what he says. Don't be afraid. 
Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. <laughs> you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I'm saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. After he said this to me, I stood trembling. I love that he says, understand the words I'm saying to you. Do you remember chapter 9? It was like he, he gets this vision, or chapter 8, and God's like, hey, Gabriel, make sure Daniel understands and he says that several times. Help him understand. Let him understand. And at the very end of the chapter, Dana writes, and I did not understand. <laughs> and so now, at the beginning of chapter 10, the end of verse 1, he says, it says he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. What you're going to see next week, Will's going to help us unpack, is that he gets this unfolding of what's going to take place next with these other kingdoms, these other human kingdoms ruling over Israel for the next few hundred years. What we call the intertestamental period. That means a time between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament where there's 400 historical period of years where it seems like God is silent. And what's amazing and incredible is I don't think God was silent. He told them ahead of time. He visits Daniel and he gives him, this is what's gonna happen. And when you look back at chapter 11 with accounts of history, it's so accurate, that's like the one reason people say it can't be true. It's too accurate, there's no way Daniel wrote this before it happened. All right, that's next week, I'm jumping ahead, I'm still in Will's Thunder, I apologize. But God comes and finally gives Daniel this understanding he's been promising him. It's kinda like when God tells the first man and woman, hey, don't eat from that tree or you will surely die, and they take a bite and you go, how come they're still breathing and talking and walking around, right? But that promise kicked in, right? Their bodies start breaking down and decaying. The fabric of creation starts breaking down and they do eventually die. God says, give this man understanding and he eventually understands. How impatient are we that we want things right now, right? And it's like, if we don't get that thing we felt like God maybe told us in that moment, we are so quick to turn away from him and say that he's not faithful when we're the ones turning away. God gives Daniel his understanding. It comes here. Verse 12. Don't be afraid, Daniel. He said to me, for from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. He's talking about this three-week fast he's been doing. Whatever thing Daniel's fasting over and mourning over, he's saying, listen, God heard you on day one. I know it's been 21 days. I know it's been three weeks. Be patient. So he says, your prayers were heard. I have come because of your prayers, verse 13. But, you guys ready for it to get weird? Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to you to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those days. And while he was saying these words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and was speechless. Suddenly one with human likeness, it's a much different description, right, touched my lips. I opened my mouth and said to the one standing in front of me, my Lord, because of the vision, anguish overwhelms me and I am powerless. How can someone like me, your servant, speak with someone like you, my Lord? Now I have no strength and there is no breath in me. He's saying, what I just saw totally knocked the wind out of me. What I just saw was so terrifying and amazing. I, I can't even stand up and talk to you right now. How am I going to do that? 
And verse 18, then the one with the human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, don't be afraid, you who are treasured by God. Peace to you. Be very strong. As he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. I'll just read the rest since we're almost there. I didn't put it up there, I think, but we'll read through verse 2 of chapter 11. He said, do you know why I've come to you? I must return at once to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I leave, the prince of Greece will come. However, I will tell you what is recorded in the book of truth. No one has the courage to support me against those princes except Michael, your prince. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to strengthen and protect him. Now I will tell you the truth. This is God's strange word. All right, who is the prince of Persia? Cyrus. We were told, verse 1, the king of Persia is Cyrus, right? So who's the prince of Persia? And how is he doing battle against this spiritual being messenger? Yeah, a trick question, huh? <laughs> who's, who's Michael, his prince? He says, Daniel, your prince, Michael, came and helped me. There's a prince over Israel who's in exile? What? Super weird, right? Am I the only one who thinks this? Okay, so let's, let's do some uh, undoing of bad translation here, okay? So that word prince is translated from the word ruler, the ruler of Persia. We're told Cyrus is king of Persia, but there seems to be this other ruler over Persia. Someone else is in charge, right? We're told that this ruler over Daniel and his people, Michael, comes to the aid of this messenger to help fight off the ruler of Persia so that he can come and give a message to Daniel. So who are these rulers? Why does the ruler of Persia not want this messenger to come and talk to Daniel, right? And, and we're told, too, that later there's going to be this ruler of Greece that comes later and starts fighting. Weird. Do you remember that uh, Daniel has been warned this whole time, like, hey, Babylon's not the last kingdom that's going to rule over you. There's going to be the Medes and the Persians. And then there's going to be what, who? Greece, yeah? Then Rome, and then so on and so forth. And so he, he hears, okay, now there's, there's this ruler of Persia fighting against you, and then there's going to be a ruler of Greece coming. And so that word ruler is being used in the context of this spiritual being having a battle. And if we keep reading, this guy Michael, he pops up in other occasions throughout the story of all of Scripture. Another word used for him is not just your prince, but the archangel, Michael. This spiritual being, the archangel, Michael, is being called the, the prince over, the ruler over God's people, Israel. Almost as if God himself, who creates earthly beings, humans, as his representatives to be partners with him on earth, has also created spiritual beings, celestial beings, to partner with him in heavenly affairs, right? Because that's how this God works. He's a God who chooses to partner with his creation. So God has created heavenly beings, other spiritual beings, 
like him sort of, but not on par with him, who he chooses to partner with in the spiritual realm of things. And then he creates earthly beings in the same way, humans, as his representatives, made like him, but not on par with him. Remember, we're made in his likeness and his image. We're made as his representatives to partner with him in helping to bring out the flourishing and the cultivation of all of his creation on earth. God's got people. And he chooses to partner with them. He sets and appoints these angelic spiritual beings over certain people groups on the earth. Is that weird? It's all, I wonder, like, what are the spiritual rulers over America right now? And I want to talk with them and be like, hey, come on, let's, let's figure this out, right? So there's, there's this weird spiritual realm that all of a sudden Daniel's eyes are opened up to. And he's seeing, hold on, I, I thought I was just dealing with Cyrus, the king of Persia. You're telling me there's someone else behind the scenes? You guys know like in, in Wizard of Oz when there's that moment finally of like the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. The curtains are pulled open and there's this little old man back there pulling the levers. This is almost the opposite of that. It's like you see this cranky old man and you pull back the curtains and be, behind that there's this great powerful force. Daniel is seeing the world for what it really is now. And he's going, oh, I wasn't fighting against Nebuchadnezzar. There was another spiritual being behind that. Does that not sound familiar? What, what are we told by Paul, the apostle? Yeah. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood, right? Your battle is not against your boss or your coworker. Our battle is not against Trump or the Clintons. There is a spiritual battle going on. There are spiritual forces at work. There is something behind that curtain at work. There are what, what is called powers and principalities and rulers and authorities in the New Testament. That's the same word being used here for prince. There's something else at play. And what we're told much later by other authors, is that, hey, you're not fighting against other people. You're not fighting against one another. You, you're in another type of battle. How are you going to stand in that battle? When you're at work and you're frustrated, when you're at home and you and your spouse are fighting, I'm not saying, like, everything, don't over-spiritualize everything, okay? Like, sometimes... You're just being a jerk, you know? Like sometimes you just forgot to put gas in the tank, right? That, that. But if you start to sense like this pattern of stuff happening, when Bethany and I were a care team with Apartment Life, we were living on an apartment property to serve the residents and the staff there. And we would do these community events, getting the community together. And it never failed. The day of an event, we would always get in a fight. And my wife one time was finally like, do you see this pattern happening? Like, can we just stop and pray? Can we create a pattern instead of praying before we go into this every day? Right? What is Daniel's tactic in fighting this battle? Yeah. 
He's met by this great vision, and this messenger comes. He says, I've been fighting the ruler of Persia. Michael came and helped me in that battle. And, and he started taking over, so I can come to you, and I can give you this message. i got to go back and help Michael. But what is Daniel told to do? He's not called to come, hey, can you come help me fight against this? Like, I need you, Daniel. You're strong. Like, God loves you. Man, you're such a spiritual person. You're awesome. You're a rock star. Come, come and help me fight off this demon, right? Like, no, that's not what he says. We are not called to go and duke it out with the devil. We're also not called into a battle of the mind. And I think that's usually what the other extreme is for us, is we have this tendency to go, all right, so there's a spiritual battle. I need to study. I need to get my theology down. Maybe I should go to seminary. No. Daniel's praying and fasting. He's taking a posture of saying, I'm in need. I have no strength in me. Where does he get his strength from? God shows up. God sends his message. Touches Daniel. Strengthens him. He's in his 80s. He hasn't eaten for three weeks. And suddenly he has the strength to stand up and engage. Right? His part was trusting that he was not enough, but that God is. That's how you step into that spiritual battle. What does Jesus do when he shows up on the scene hundreds of years later? And he enters into a fast for 40 days in the wilderness. Do you remember that? And what is he tempted with? Power and strength and authority over everything that's already his, ironically. And then he's also tempted with food, right? Get your strength back. Eat up. And do you remember what Jesus says? What's his response? Yeah, he quotes it from Deuteronomy. Man doesn't live off of bread alone, but by the word of the Lord. That's where I get my strength from. And then in John chapter 4, there's another similar interaction with his disciples, those following him. And he, Jesus has just been talking to this woman at a well, which is a great story in itself. We don't have time for that. There's this beautiful interaction there. And his disciples show up and they're like, hey, you got to eat something, man. It's been a while. And what does he say to them? He goes, I got food you don't even know about. Huh. And it tells us they're like, start questioning each other. Like, where did he go get food? Where's, where's the taco truck? Show it. I, I want to go. And that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, no, no, no. Doing the Father's will. Jesus is being fed and nourished by being in oneness with the Father, by being the messenger, by being the message of the Lord. Jesus is being fed off of that Daniel's being fed off of the message of the Lord coming to him and nourishing him. How are we nourishing ourselves for strength in a spiritual battle? Because that's what we're in, right? That's what we're in in this world. All of it, there's no separation. There's no dualistic nature of there's the physical and there's the spiritual. And now I'm getting all weird with you guys trying to talk about getting a glimpse into something. No, no, no. God made all things. He made the physical world. He made humans out of his hands. 
and breathed his own breath into them. He stepped down onto this earth and he walked with us and talked with them, right? It's all his, it's all spiritual. So we're in a spiritual battle. We're to be nourished and fed by God's word, by his presence, by his message, by his voice to us, and us recognizing and trusting we need that. That's why Daniel fasts from food, so when his body's hungry, he remembers, I am in need. All right, we don't enter into fasts so that we can get this spiritual discipline, so that we can make ourselves stronger, so that we can go into a fight. That's not what it is. We enter into a fast to recognize we're in need, to remind ourselves who it is who actually nourishes us. That's what that's for. And so we enter into that and we go, God, we're desperate. Show up. God, I can't stand up in front of you. God, who am I to speak with you or on your behalf? And God comes and he touches you and he stands you up. And he says, have strength, don't be afraid. And he touches your lips and he says, speak my word, speak my message. And he sends us out with his strength and with his power. God is the one who provides the nourishment, just like he did for Israel in the desert when they're wandering and they're in need of food and he rains bread down from the sky. Just like he does in coming himself, sending his son, Jesus, taking position with humanity, taking on flesh, entering into our hunger, entering into our famine, entering into our lack and our need. And he steps into that and he himself provides the nourishment. That's why Jesus says weird things like you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. What does that mean? Remember Daniel's like, I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand, and God finally gives him understanding. Jesus finally gives understanding when he's having one last meal with his friends, with his disciples who are following him. And he breaks the bread and he says, my body is broken for you. That's what you're to feast off of. That's what you're to nourish yourself with. And he takes the cup and he says, my blood is poured out for you. Drink, eat, do it in remembrance of me. Every time you do, remember that you are in need of me. Nourish on me. Feed yourself with me. I will strengthen you for the battle. You guys, we ask with Missio, we, we ask a lot of one another, right? I mean, Anthony was talking about that just even with like our Sunday gathering. There's a lot. A lot of you are doing a lot of stuff. But like this is like, this is nothing. That's scratching the surface. We're constantly calling one another into God's mission, right? We're, we're constantly talking about sending each other out into your workplaces and your neighborhoods and your schools and to go out and to engage with people who are hurting, who are hungry, to talk with your neighbor who's yelling at you for stuff like hanging, your tree branch hanging over his fence or whatever the case may be, like to engage with people and to love them, to serve people, to care for one another's needs. And let me tell you, like, we're going to suck at that. And we're going to get tired, if you haven't already. And we're going to break down and we're going to fall flat on our faces if we're doing that in our own strength. And so job number one 
Job number one is to recognize our need to pray. Like Daniel prayed to fast maybe. Don't do it as a spiritual discipline. Don't do it because I just said maybe you should or because we read it in the text this morning. It's taking a posture of humility going, I'm in need. I need your strength. I need you to equip me. And when we get nourished and fed and filled up and strengthened by the Lord, then we get sent back out. When Jesus commissions, commissions his followers to go and make disciples, he says, I am the king over all things and have authority over heaven and earth. And he says, I am with you always. He's our strength. Let's nourish ourselves with that.